Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Tuesday, November the 2nd, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles to study Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Boy, we're almost midway through Ecclesiastes, and every chapter has this unique flavor, if you will. And today, this chapter was in the lectionary a few weeks ago, the three-year lectionary. And Solomon continues to present the truth of the world, but he does not point to fatalism. He's not trying to lead people to complete despair, but he's calling them to hope, to hope in the promises of God. And he does it wonderfully in these, I'll call them prescriptive exhortations to point them to how a wise person lives in the name of the Lord. As one's claimed by the Lord, how are we to live? So once again, we look at this and we see Christ for the gifts are ready ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome with us today Pastor Chris Morundi of St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bingen, Indiana. Pastor Morundi, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so much. Glad to have, glad to be here today. I should have said this differently. It's Bingen and Decatur, Indiana. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, our, that's our nickname. And then, yeah, we're located just outside, well, north of Decatur, Indiana. Wonderful. I, I love that, that a church has a nickname that is not like a bad name. I'm assuming it's like, <laughs> this is a good name, Bingen. So, so yeah. Pastor, first yeah. time together for us, you've been on Thy Strong Word and previously, um, but tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at St. John. Okay. I, I'm a uh... Very uh, honored to serve as the associate pastor at, at St. John Bingen, and where I preach and teach and visit the, the sick and the shut-in. And it's a, a tremendous joy to, to, be in, to be in the parish while I'm doing a whole bunch of other things, because I'm, uh, I'm up here at the seminary as well, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And I am a Ph.D. candidate in the Ph.D. in Theological Studies program. I'm studying the Book of Psalms for my dissertation, and that's the point that I'm at right now, working on my dissertation, we're in my dissertation cave right at the moment, uh, where all my note cards are spread around me. And then I also uh, wear another hat. I'm an adjunct professor at uh, at the seminary, where I teach a few classes every quarter, mostly in the pastoral ministry missions department. Um, very blessed to have uh, up above my head, up in the main part of the house, uh, uh, three beautiful daughters: Charlotte, who is uh, going to be two in the in the spring. Samantha, who turns 11 tomorrow, and then Rachel right in the middle, who's four and will turn five next month. And then my, my wonderful, beautiful wife, Bethany, who, who keeps them all on the way that they should go and teaches them here at home. So it's a wonderful blessing to, to, to wear all these hats and a wonderful blessing to be on the show today. Well, thank you very much for that. And reminder to our listeners, for us, what I love to do when I hear about our guest is this is a call for prayer. So to pray for our our pastors who are serving in the parish, clearly, 
um, for uh, our pastors are also fathers and husbands and to pray for their vocation, but also to pray for Concordia Theological Seminary and our seminary in St. Louis, because you don't only have the professors that are always there uh, as far as full-time professors, but you have the part-time adjunct professors as well teaching very important classes. And what classes do you teach at, at the Fort Wayne Seminary? Yeah, right, right now I'm teaching catechetics, which is essentially teaching pastors. And this quarter I have deaconess students. Uh, how to teach and how to think about Christian education in the parish. Uh, next quarter, I'll be teaching homiletics two, which is for the guys getting ready to go on vicarage, and then also homiletics three, which is for the guys who are coming back from vicarage. And in the in the past, I've taught pastoral theology one and pastoral theology two, and then I, I do some small group teaching as well. Well, thanks be to God for all that you do, and it's a joy to have you with us today. And Pastor, as we call people to prayer, can you begin our time in prayer and ask our Lord's blessing? Yeah, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us all scriptures as your inspired, inerrant word, your truth, your truth, which is, as we reflect on Reformation Week and our gospel lesson, the truth which sets us free. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with us as we study your word through your servant Solomon, that this word may have its way with us, that it may teach us, that it may give us a vision of the life that you would have us to lead here in this life as redeemed children. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would strengthen us, enable us always to reflect on your word, to meditate on it, to inwardly digest it that it may have its way with us each and every day. We pray this in your holy, your precious name, O Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions concerning Ecclesiastes, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, and we will address that according to what Scripture says in light of Christ as our filter, if you will. And Pastor, we are almost in the middle of Ecclesiastes, and I, it really is one of those you feel like you're on a repeat button, but there's always a unique <laughs> twist in each, well, verse, really, but every chapter as well. So as we come upon chapter 5, what do you, how do you want to start us off today with background or themes so that we start off on the right foot? Yeah, I, I, you're right. It is, it is repetitive in a sense that, that we've always, we're, we're circling around this idea of vanity and the, the idea that uh, really life without God is vanity, and that, that's really what, what the preacher, what Solomon wants to drive home for us in many and various ways as we, as we, as we cycle around. And what I love about the Old Testament is that it is repetitive. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, yeah. it, it likes to cycle around the same ideas and, and chew on them and meditate on them. Some, sometimes we're way too easel, easily led to just kind of let's go from point A to point B to point C and we'll just keep on moving. Uh, the Old Testament often invites us to ruminate. To, to pause and, and chew on things and look at things from different angles. And that, that's, what, that's what I love about the Old Testament in general and then, then also this, uh, this chapter that we're looking at. And we're, we're going to have the same sorts of things we've been talking about before, about, about gathering riches and uh, the vanity of simply being satisfied with wealth. But then also, that right at the end, um, we'll have to make sure that we, we get there, is this beautiful... We think of Ecclesiastes as a dour, kind of dark book, and yeah, you know, maybe in many ways it is, uh, because he is describing the vanity of life without God. But he also has this amazing, wonderful vision of life spent enjoying the fruits of creation and the fruits that God has given you. 
and really for, for Solomon, the problem comes when you put too much emphasis on those things. Uh, those things have been given, enjoy them. They're wonderful. Thanks be to God. But you worship the creator, not the creation. You worship the giver, not the gifts. And again, as we're coming out of Reformation uh, in the, this, this week, uh, that's something that I've always found intriguing with Luther, too. He, he's a very earthy man mm. in many ways, and he, and he wants us to enjoy the fruits of God's creation. And so th- this is no uh, monasticism that Solomon is calling us to. This, this is enjoying God's gifts as God's gifts. And I like, I love how, well, thank you for that overview. That really is helpful as we get to the midway point to refocus us again, is that repeat notion where we, I think, as human beings think, okay, I heard it once, I'm good, which leads us to various issues. One being that we don't, we think, well, I know the gospel, therefore I don't need to hear it again, (laughs) which is just crazy idea that we have. And let alone the law, which we think, oh, I know that law, I don't need to hear it again. No, we continuously, as broken people, need to hear that. And at the same time, he, I mean, he's beaten us here. We, we realize that we're a sinner as we go through this and our own, um, our own issues and temptations. And then, like you said, to enjoy God's creation, because we can get dour. We're like, oh, what's the point? We become Eeyore. You know, we continually just are not able to enjoy <laughs> Where he says no, enjoy, and that's it's, it's right. Reformation just happened. Luther totally is like that. You watch those movies. I mean, he is preaching the law, but he is having a good time at the same time. So it is a <laughs> it is a is a great way of bringing us to the to the to our chapter today. Pastor, anything else you want to share before we begin? No, I think we can jump in. All right, well, let's do this. Reminder to our listeners: we are reading from the English Standard Version of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we'll just read verse 1, because it has a lot right away in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So right, right away, he's, he's given us this prescription, he's given us the law, and what is he telling us? Well, he, he's telling us that yeah, it's, it, Hypocrisy is what he's going after, and that's that's obviously a a big time theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus goes after this uh, quite a bit as well. That God does not want empty sacrifices without faith. Uh, go to that. It's uh, it, it's that same phrase. Jesus picks up on it. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mm. And so, what does God? What is God looking for? He's looking for for the heart. Uh, so it, and. They don't even know that they're doing evil, those fools. Instead, when you go to the house of God, come and listen. Hear God's word. That's really uh, what the, even, we, we, we tend to think of the sacrifices as just, you know, you go there and you kill an animal. But you're, you also go to the temple to hear God's word. And that maybe apply you know, it connects with us a little better today because that's what we do when we go to church. We hear God's word. And so what does it mean, the sacrifice of fools? That was one I, I struggled a little bit to understand because I'm thinking, you know, he's talking about people. Or what is it? What is he meaning by that, sacrifice of fools? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think my thought is that it, it is the idea, uh, a sacrifice that a fool makes. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that would be... Uh, you know, you bring your la- your lame animal. It's like Amalekai likes to get after the people of God uh, oh, yeah. for this. I mean, you bring the blind, you bring the lame, you know, you go out to your pen and you're like, well, I'm going to the temple today. Uh, well, there's 
there's Ed. He's got three legs and one eye. You know, I, I think he's the best of my flock. I'll take him. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, a, sure. uh, it, it, it's this, it's a foolish sacrifice because it's done. It's going through the motions. Uh, a good, once again, a good Lutheran, uh, a good reformation phrase perhaps would be ex opere operato, simply doing it, thinking that you'll be good just because you do, uh, do what you, what's required of you without any faith, without, without thinking about it. Um, that, that's, to me, that seems to be where, where he's driving at. You know, that's really helpful because you can start thinking about sacrifice of people. I was like, what? What is going on? What do you mean, sacrifice people? Or, um, like you said, the foolish people who bring their sacrifices, not necessarily in faith, but they're just haphazardly going about this because, well, I have to do it, and then they lose really the faith and trust that the Lord seeks. So, so Pastor, I, I want to go right into the practicalities of this, is how does... How does that happen for us today? Obviously, we don't have the temple. We don't go to the temple. We don't make sacrifices. But yet, we're so called to faith. How would you relate this from this to our world today? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we could go. Uh, there, there are a number of different ways we could go. But one, one would be thinking through, why do I serve my neighbor? Um, and if, if I serve my neighbor uh, to getting good with the big guy, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that by definition then is no longer a good work. Uh, a good work is done in faith. It's not done to earn anything before God. Um, so, so that would certainly be one way. And I would say as well, it's abusive towards the neighbor because then the neighbor simply becomes a tool, a, uh, an instrument as I'm using that neighbor to curry favor before my creator. And that's just, that's, that's not love. That's not love at all. Uh, the other, the other thing to think about would be uh, hypocrisy and worship. Um, that we, we go through the motions, you know, I'm in the pew every Sunday, but you know, I don't believe a word of it. I, I, I despise God's word. I, um, bored with God's word. I don't, I don't care. I'm there because someone expects me to, or because I think someone expects me to, um, now certainly we want them in the pew <laughs> because right. the God's word is going to have its, do its work. Uh, but, uh, got the third commandment. When we preach the third commandment, we're not just saying come to church, though we are. That's certainly the biggest part of the third commandment. It also means what, what is your attitude when you're there um, and, and where is your heart when you're there? So, so that to me would be as the, 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 the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving we are to offer as New Testament priests. And when we are just going through the motions because we, that's what we're expected to do, that's, uh, that's worship without faith. And that's really helpful for us because it can go on both sides where we want people to be in the pews. But we also don't want people to be fruit inspectors of themselves and others the whole time. Like, well, I don't know if that guy really is committed to this yeah. all the time. Now, we do call it like law gospel. and We call people to repentance. And, you know, if it's a clear case, we call them out on that. But also we have to be careful not to, well, does that guy really have faith? Because the same thing could be yeah. said for all of us. You know, I believe, sure. help my unbelief is, is really our confession at times. And it really is helpful, as you said that, to uh, remind all of us of the hypocrisy that we all can have. So we come in repentance and also in faith. So um, anything else in verse one, Pastor? No, that sounds, that's great. <laughs> Let's keep going. Verses 2 and 3. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, 
and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Now, this obviously points us to James, when James chapter 1 talks about knowing that we should be slow to speak and quick to hear is the mm-hmm. language he uses. Yep. What else is he telling yep. us in, the, in this verse, in these verses? Well, it, the, the dream issue, uh, it, it's, all, it's all about running your mouth. And, and maybe we could say speaking where you don't really have authority or reason to speak. Um, so a dream comes with much business. And so, you know, you have a dream, I've got a dream, I've got a dream. And, you know, people make a lot of that and perhaps sell a lot of books. But uh, is it, is it really amount to anything? And, and well, if, if it accords with God's word, okay, well, then, then we have something. But uh, that's what we check it according to. Um, it, don't be hasty at our word before God. So it, we, we need to be, what would be the, the way to put it? Uh, Sober with our speech, not be hasty with our words, as James would would exhort us to do. Uh, that we uh, that we aren't speaking to puff ourselves up with I've I've seen a dream, I've seen a dream, or I've uh, you know it, I've got all these flowing words that Jesus himself gets after uh, the Pharisees for for having all these these fancy prayers and thinking they earn favor before God uh, by them. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's it's in quietness and soberness and and reverence before the Lord. We are we are not heard by Him because of our many and eloquent words. Um, we are the, the cry of faith, groaning too deep for words, is what the Lord hears. And this is where I'm I'm trying to think of 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 how we look at this because eighth commandment is a is a major issue for each one of us. That we mm-hmm. say things and we do, we shouldn't say things and we do. And when we do start talking, we don't help. I talked about this with mm-hmm. Pastor Richard yesterday. Was that understanding of of everything was going well with Job and his three friends until his friends started talking. <laughs> then all of a sudden, things went haywire, and they proclaimed what God did not tell them to proclaim. And yep. that's a, a good yeah, reminder for us. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and I want to be very clear. On the next thing I'm saying, I'm not uh, railing on anything in particular, but it's when we will say something like, I have a dream or I have a vision, and I'm not saying that an organization or even a church cannot plan for the future. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not railing on missions or visions. I'm not saying that all that is wrong or something. But I am saying this, that when we um, have these dreams and these visions and we don't get back to the, the bare bones of what we're actually supposed to be doing as a church, then we've lost it. So one time my father, he's a pastor, and I asked him one time kind of that question, what's your vision? And he said, my vision is that people hear the word of God and that they pray and they love their families and they keep receiving the gifts. And I remember thinking to myself, and I was young, and I'm not, and I was like, well, that's kind of lame. I mean, what, what, isn't there more going on? I mean, come on, that's not that exciting. And, and he was, he was, it was a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, father, son type thing, but he was right that that is quote the vision. That is the word he has given us to give. And the rest of it, we many times can kind of plan for some things, but we also have to get, make sure that we're staying focused on the main thing. Any of your thoughts on, on the first three verses so far? Yeah, it, it, he's calling us to a, not call attention to ourselves. 
yeah. I think is maybe what, what we're seeing here in these three verses. So the, the, the posture towards God he is exhorting us to is one of humility, uh, is one of reception, is, is one of, of really being a child and simply receiving God's gifts as they come and not trying to exert ourselves or, or impress other people, um, but simply receive. Well, let's continue on because that continues on these next number of verses. We'll read verses 4 through 7. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. Excuse me, pay what you vow. It's better you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So, Pastor, he gets into vows, continues with the language of how we speak, and then, I mean, then he ends it like the catechism. You know, who, who do we have to fear? The God himself. And so, how yep. would you pull all those verses together? Well, yeah, it, it continues that theme of how we talk and be careful with your words. Uh, that, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, we know, we all know that that's not true. You know, the, that, that words have power, that, that words uh, have great effect. And especially if you're going to, um, <laughs> as Solomon says, if you vow a vow to God, well, you, you better be ready to pay it, buddy. Uh, this is, these, are, these are not things that you, you should take light, lightly. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus um, <laughs> essentially is, he says, don't, don't do any vowing at all. Um, so he, he has no pleasure in fools. So it, you, it kind of takes it up another notch, perhaps, from the, from, from the previous verses in that we were talking maybe more about how you look before your neighbor and your interaction before your neighbor, perhaps. Um, and here we definitely shift towards uh, the vertical relationship, that, that God, God is paying attention to these things. He's pay attention, paying attention to when you make promises in his name, and he's, uh, he is uh, paying attention when, you, uh, when, you're, when you're running your mouth. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And say before the messenger, so the pastor probably is the, mm-hmm. the best way to think about that. That was a mistake. No, 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 I didn't mean it. Um, just guard your lips. We, we, we really, and we, we understand this. I mean, lips, the, our, the tongue is a restless evil, says, says St. James. So we know this. We, we know that our, when we run our mouths, we get ourselves into trouble. And Solomon is saying, don't do it before God either. <laughs> um, <laughs> be careful in what you do. Be careful in what you say, uh, because because words have power. And when you're, and especially when you're dealing with the God of heaven and earth, what you say about Him and what you say to Him and the promises you make in His name, uh, this is serious business. This isn't something to just joke around with. And this is, I want to ask you this, Pastor, because this is for you, our listeners, that. We as pastors, and you have other church workers, uh, Lutheran school, I mean, teachers in general, but, you know, definitely our Lutheran school teachers, um, as, you know, homeschool parents, so forth, that a major part of what we do is talking, <laughs> and yeah. is speaking. Yeah. And so yeah. what encouragement would you have for people who, their, their pastor, to pray for their pastor in this light, knowing how quickly we can say things that we should not say? 
and that we used to, yep. that we're going to, this is a very dangerous thing. So this can be quite terrifying. So what, for, for our listeners, what would you tell them and how they should pray and encourage their pastor knowing how, how they're, they're, they're proclaiming the word of God, but how dangerous it can be at the same time? Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me of Isaiah. Uh, when when he's confronted with the vision, he said uh, of the heavenly throne room. What, where does he? What what is he concerned about? Um, he's concerned about his lips. I dwell amongst the I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Uh, I am a man of unclean lips, yep. and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And what does God do? He redeems. He purifies. He he cleanses those lips with a coal from the altar. And and so that to me would be how you ought to pray for your pastors and teachers and all who use their words, as we all do, uh, anyone who teaches God's word, uh, that the Lord would cleanse and purify those lips, and and would make them make them pure to to speak the words of God, and also because uh, the Lord did not send a, a bunch of a uh, bunch of robots. He didn't use AI uh, to build His church. Uh, he sent a bunch of sin- sinners uh, to have grace on your pastor and, and pray that uh, uh, he would not fall into the sins of the lips. But when he does, as we all inevitably do, uh, that you would show the grace of Christ and point him to his Savior and pray for pray for repentance and forgiveness. We the, the lips, as James said, is that the tongue is a restless evil. And it can, it can bite us all. It can get us all. Um, especially when you're someone who, who that your job is to speak, is to talk. And so we pray for your pastors that, that they would speak rightly and pray too that, that if, if they do stumble, as we all stumble, uh, that they, the great same grace of God that was given to Isaiah would also be extended to them. And this is where the prayer too, as I'm thinking about this for us as pastors, those who serve in the church, our prayer should be Psalm 51, which is what we do in the liturgy. Sure. Oh, Lord, open yep. my lips and my mouth will declare your yep. praise, reminding us yep. that's our purpose. That's why we're there. Because as, as Solomon tells us, and he and he knows from experience, the wrong words come out. And we all, as, as a father, we know this. As a, as a husband, we know this. You ever have those moments, Pastor, where you, you say something and you're just wishing there was a way you could take your hand and block it yep. from ever being heard from other people? And so we're reminded continually of how much we need the Lord's grace, and thanks be to God, he gives it. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 5 with Pastor Chris Marundi, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language, and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 5 with Pastor Chris Marundi of St. John Lutheran Church in Bingen of 
<laughs> located in Decatur of Indiana. I don't think I'm ever going to get this. I should just say Bingen. Just know that's where it is. Anyways, Pastor, it is a, a joy to be able to get to the point where we are, where we're reminded that we should, God is the one who we should fear. Like, okay, so maybe you say things out loud that you shouldn't say. Okay, maybe you're not quite committed when you come to a worship service, but the issue is not with your pastor or your church. There's a bigger issue at hand, and that's the Lord. So when he says to fear God, what does he mean by that? Yeah, fear fear God. I mean, I, I often put that up on uh, on the board for my confirmands because that, that's, of course, first commandment stuff, right? Uh, we should fear and love and trust in God above all things. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, it, really, I would say there's two senses operative, and I think they're both, they, they both are working at most times. The number one uh, is kind of the way I was, I was taught, and I, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people were taught, reverence, respect. And, and, that, and that's very true, that we, we, we recognize the, the presence of God that we are in. Um, and the other side, though, is a fear of his wrath. And that should not lead us to despair. We should recognize that. I mean, that's, that's the reality of the cross. And we, we should not uh, shy away from, from, you know, mentioning that because, because that is, that is the cross. Um, but that's the gospel side. It's the, the cross has taken that away. That wrath no longer uh, rests upon us. So it, there, there's the two angles of that. It's, uh, we, should, we, should, we fear his wrath and that should drive us to Jesus. And on the other hand, too, we have that reverence and respect towards God um, as the creator of all. So let's keep moving forward, Pastor, as we look at uh, the vanity of wealth and honors, how the ESV um, separates this. And this was kind of a challenge. I was trying to figure out how to <laughs> break this up. So I'm just going to go the first two verses and, and let the word speak. So verses 8 and 9. If you see in a province province, excuse me, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by our higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Now this one, this one would be hard to teach, I would think, as we read it, because there's a number of words we need to cover. So how would you begin as we look at justice and righteousness, cultivated fields, uh, um, government, and so forth? Yeah. yeah. Um, Luther, I, I believe it's in the large catechism, said that, I, I assume it's probably the, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us the spirit, no, is that the fourth? Give us the spirit daily bread. And he says that a, a king's uh, coat of arms should have a loaf of bread on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Be because that's, that's what rulers and good rulers are supposed to provide. They're supposed to provide the, the environment, so to speak, uh, an environment of peace and security and stability where bread can get to people's tables. And so that's really what I think about when I think about verse 9. This, this, the king committed to cultivated fields is the, is the, the ruler who is committed not to gain a bunch more wealth for himself, not to um, more power or, or winning wars for no reason except for his own aggrandizement, but the one who is concerned about making sure his people have bread on their tables, that that is a wise ruler. And if you see injustice, well, <laughs> the, the, the preacher Solomon says, well, that's, 
that's the way things work in this world. But don't fret. Don't get don't get all um, uh, too despairing over this uh, because th- these things happen in this world. But there's always someone higher up the totem pole. And that, that really is, is the message of the Old Testament when it comes to injustice. We, we, the, the prophets exhort the people to fight injustice, to care for the poor um, at all times. They're calling them to do that. But then also uh, there's the recognition that injustice does happen, but there is a God who holds the poor in his hands. He has not forgotten them. And he will vindicate them and vindicate the suffering that others have imposed upon them, uh, maybe in this life, but certainly in the next. And so as you look at that, it's, it's a little bit of a, don't be, don't, this is reality. This is, this is life. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you don't call people to repentance. It doesn't mean that there's not justice and righteousness out there. Um, doesn't mean that there's not, you know, good Kings out there, but we, you call it out and you call them to fulfill their vocation the way they're, they're supposed to uh, do. It. Like cultivated fields is that they're you know how, how do you how do you do the cultivated fields at the end? I was confused on that one. Any thoughts? Well, I I, I think it is that that it's a it's a king who is concerned with uh, the land yielding its increase for the good of his people. It's it, it's a king who who is not uh, not concerned with having more. Uh, attendance uh, around him and more pomp, but a king that is that is concerned with his people having food to eat. Uh, that's I, mm-hmm. that's the way I would mm-hmm. read it. Okay, yeah, that I was in that line, but I hadn't quite put my head around it yet. So yes, v- very good. So he's he's speaking about this is the reality. This is what's out there. Is there anything else on those two verses? It, it's really again. Um, as with a lot, Solomon has plenty of advice. He, you know where he stands, but he also, he also is very realistic that, that, you know, things aren't always great in this world and, and don't get overly concerned about it because the God, uh, that does not mean that God is either doesn't exist or doesn't care. Um, he, he's watching and, uh, he, he will vindicate, uh, the poor and, uh, and, and those who are oppressed in this life or the next. Well, let's keep moving forward then. As we see a compassionate God, he also, get, once again, gives us warnings about our view of the gifts that he gives. 10 through 12. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. <laughs> Pastor, this was in the lectionary a few weeks ago, and, and I preached on it, so it's really uh, near and dear to my heart, as I remember that time, is I found it interesting. One of them, for me, as my kids are now 16 down to 11, there is that reality of, you know, the, the more... <laughs> the that you have to buy more food. I mean, there's, you know, the more income, the more you have to buy. The more children, they yep. get older, you have to buy more. And obviously, he's not just talking about that, but he's speaking about vanity. What kind of vanity is he speaking of? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the emptiness. The, the, he who loves wealth with, uh, 
will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth as his income. This is vanity. The, the vanity is that uh, you you toil and toil in this world uh, to make a buck, and and you've made that your idol, but it never satisfies. There's all, there's always more, either on the um, either on the end, like you said, and, and this was Luther had in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. He mentioned the same idea that. That yeah, you make more money, but you now you've got more servants, you've got more children, you've got you know all yeah. these more demands on it, and that's certainly true. I would almost think though too that uh, the man's appetite for money, uh, whether he has more kids to feed or not, uh, his appetite for money is never satisfied, and so so that continues to grow. You, you yeah, you're getting that big raise, but you're ready for more. You you you're never satisfied. Uh, by this, what what is the only thing that a, that a rich person wants? Well, it often uh, we don't want to be too uh, broad here, but uh, often it's more, more, you know, and, and, and an increase, an increase in what the Lord has given. I I heard of uh, someone was telling me a, a story of a of a of a gentleman who had received this huge inheritance, and 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 our thought was. Like, give it away. You don't want it. I mean, that's just gonna it's gonna ruin your life. Um, and we've seen that. We see that biblically. We see that anecdotally in our in our world. I once had a, a friend that talked about a job that he had just started, and he kind of had one of those things where he got a job and he was making significantly more money than he was making. Was not happy. Ended up with <laughs> another job. And in that job, he was making not as much as the, the new job he had just received, but significantly more than the first job. Okay, so I don't know if that makes sense or not. But, but his comment was, if I got this job right after the other job, the first job, I would have thought I could live like a king. But now that I made more, now I have to scale back. I feel like I really am, am having to suffer. And I think that's a good perspective for us as we think about our, our text here is that even in a perspective, we're never quite happy. The the hunger is still there, no matter what we do. Any any thoughts? Yeah, it's, uh, oh. uh, that is the the biggest curse with with wealth, and that that's why that's why he says that the laborer is pretty easy. And if he's got enough to feed uh, feed his family, then um, you know he's he's not sitting around with all the kinds of worries and and concerns that, that the rich men have. Now, certainly greed is not simply a vice of the rich. We, we know that know that very well, that uh, you, can, you can be greedy no matter, uh, no matter what your income is. But uh, it, if you have what you have and you're content with it, you're going to sleep a lot easier than a, uh, a, a person that seems to have it all. Yeah, as you say that, Pastor, it reminds me of this. When we go on vacation... It's interesting to me because on vacation, you know, I don't work out. I'm not laboring in my lawn or those, sit on the beach or whatever you do on vacation. And you typically eat more rich foods. But if I work all day and oh, then you eat those rich foods and you go to bed and you're like, my goodness, I can't sleep. What's going on? I've been relaxing all day. And, you know, you had your, yeah. your, your breadsticks and then you had your main meal and then you had dessert and then you had, a, you know, wine or something. And you're wondering, why can't I sleep? And then if you work all day, you go and you just you're, you sleep the moment your head hits a pillow. So I, yeah. I see this work out is that when you have it all and Solomon knows this, right? He references anything I wanted, I got 
that he sees the implications of this and it and it shows something even greater um, later on. So, um, yeah. So, any other thoughts on those verses, Pastor, 10 through 12? No, that's great. All right, let's keep moving forward then. We're moving along well. Verses 13 through 17. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Oh, and he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. So now he, now he gets real when he says there is a grievous evil that he has seen under the sun. What is that grievous evil? Yeah, that, that someone was, was essentially storing up wealth for, uh, uh, for his children and, and uh, things that all went away and he had nothing to give to those who, who came after him. It, it, it reminds me a bit of the, the man in uh, Jesus' parable who building all the barns, preparing for the future, and now school this very night. <laughs> yeah. It'll be taken away from you. Uh, so it, it's kind of the idea that, you know, riches are fleeting, and and it may look good today, but um, you have no idea what tomorrow brings. And he speaks in here, uh, uh, and it really is something where it speaks about, uh, it isn't necessarily hoarding you know like my my family has watched the hoarders show that was on tv and <laughs> watch on hulu and the problem i know for us is we'll look at that and then we'll say well at least i don't hoard like that or <laughs> we'll look at you know you're, you're going through this comparison theology throughout throughout your yep. life the comparison discipleship i guess you would say yeah, but here i think this goes yeah, right. And this goes back to where is the heart in all of this? And he sees this as a grievous evil um, that they just kept it, and then either it didn't get to the sun, or it wasn't going to be used by the sun, or whatever it might be. And I, I feel like it's a heart issue. And how would you describe that to somebody? It, it, it's a heart issue. This reveals to the about the state of the man's heart. That's kind of your question, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. So go ahead. This this is really a it, it indicates the 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 state of a man who is only thinking about um, the, the the things of this world, and then you know all of a sudden it's gone. And so it, it sure he's giving forethought to the future, certainly. He's giving forethought to the future. He's preparing for his son. But Solomon points out that, I mean, all the, all the human foresight that you have is not going to protect your wealth. It can, it can just disappear in a moment. And in a bad venture, he says, so, so something, something went wrong with the business. And if that's where you put your trust in, uh, then you're, you're, uh, you're going to find yourself disappointed quite a bit. You're going to have trouble sleeping at night yeah. and you're going to, uh, probably end up with not nearly as much as you wanted to give to your posterity and and a lot less joy to go with it. And and as Jesus would say, what, what about the state of your soul? 
I remember a, a family that I knew that they had a situation where they did not have the amount of money that they thought they would have uh, when one of their loved ones died. And, you know, you can go down the list of, you know, we should have seen this, we should have seen that. But what I remember specifically is the wife, the widow, is her reaction to it was kind of like, you know, the Lord will provide. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that really captures how, one, the Lord, the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of us to, to say faithful things, even if you don't feel it. But definitely she had been blessed with that is, yeah, we were kind of thinking we would have this, this, or this. I mean, clearly she would have felt that. But at the same time, well, okay, here we go. Only by the grace of God will we move forward. And and she's not eating in the dark. <laughs> she was never eating in the dark. It was always in the light. It was not full sure. of sickness and anger for her. She still lived with the same joy and the same, you know, obviously grieving the loss of her beloved husband, but also realizing that, you know what, there's there's more to it than that, which to me really yeah. I feel like Solomon is also, I mean, I feel like pointing at to her as an example of this is how the Lord also equips us um, for for whatever comes our way. Any other thoughts? Yeah, contentment with godliness is great gain, as St. Paul would say. Yeah, well, that's uh, good. good. To act, to actually simply, yeah, with whatever changes or chances come along, to to say, the Lord is going to take care of me. The Lord is going to provide. And then you're exactly right. Then you you are not eating in darkness and in vexation, sickness and anger. You are, uh, you may not have as much uh, finery around your table as as the people down the street, perhaps, but... uh, but you're you're eating it in joy, and it's joy from from the Lord, no matter how much or how little He gives. We know He's going to take care of us. And this is where I'm trying to think of a, a word, but I'm I'm a simple guy, so it's like the danger of stuff is what I. <laughs> that's not the I don't know <laughs> possessions, but you don't want to say possessions in general. But usually when we say stuff, you know, you realize yep. you have more than you need, but yet we will cling yep. to that so closely. Yep. And that's for Solomon. He knew what it was to have stuff. I mean, he, he sure. speaks yeah. about the riches he has and everything he wanted, he got. And I know for me, if I were just to get whatever I wanted from childhood on and just kept it all, there's, I would have so much stuff I do not need mm-hmm. that it would be quite yep. overwhelming. So I, I feel like Solomon's kind of sitting there looking around his room and going, I don't need any of this. And it has caused more darkness in my life than ever solved yep. anything. Any any thoughts on, on Solomon's perspective or anything else on these verses? Yeah, I mean, it, it, Solomon is an interesting biblical figure in the sense that we, we get to the end of his narrative in, in Kings, and we're not sure he's going to be in heaven. Right. I mean, he's, he's, he's someone who followed the false idols of his wives who, mm-hmm. um, who, who apostatized. Uh, towards the end of his life. Now, some uh, have said, and I, I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to this idea, that Ecclesiastes is written after that, and is, and is essentially him looking back and, and in a real, very real sense, repenting and, and realizing the vanity of, of, of his entire life and, and repenting of all of that and, uh, and, and turning to the Lord. And, and so that there are those who, who hold out now great hope for Solomon because of Ecclesiastes, which is funny because Ecclesiastes, as we said before, is usually thought of as a very dark book. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm very sympathetic with that idea. I mean, it's all 
it's all in the Lord's hands. We, we, we leave fallen in as we do all the, all the dead in, in the Lord's hands. But uh, that to me has always been an encouraging thought. So, Pastor, as we look at the first 17 verses, there's definitely, as you started us off, there's a change in 18 till the end. So I mm-hmm. wanted to do this. In the first 17 verses, how would you summarize of what uh, Solomon is saying? You know, it's simplicity of life, <laughs> mm-hmm. simplicity of your words, first of all, and then simplicity of, of your stuff. To, to not be beholden to what others think of you, to not be beholden to uh, the, the wealth that comes but yet seems to slip so much just as easily through our fingers, uh, to, to guard our lips and not make a show and pretension before others. Uh, it, it, it kind of, in, in essence, living, living a simple life of faith toward God and service to the neighbor is what he exhorts us to. And don't follow the ways of the, of the fools. The fools make a big show of things. The fools chase their money and, and live uh, in their wealth. Uh, don't chase after those things. It's empty. Vanity. Here's the other part that is interesting to me. So let's say tomorrow I were to sell my house, my four-bedroom house, and say now I'm going to live in a two-bedroom house and we're going to sleep on the floor and we're going to just make simple meals, and we're going to just live the simple life out in the forest of Minnesota. What, you know, for me, I realize, like, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be good. I, I'm not real excited about that idea, but I'm going to say that would be good. But then here's the other problem, that I would do that, but then all of a sudden I think pride would fill my heart, not to saying that that would be wrong to do that, but then pride would fill my heart saying, see, I'm doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Sure. <laughs> And it, yep, right. he, he captures this so beautifully throughout this book where he's like reflecting. He's like doing a research project, as one of our guests said, to say, here's this, here's this, here's this. And at the end of it, I all saw it as vanity. So he's not even telling you, hey, do this. But he's saying, this is all vanity, all of it. So yeah. any, any thoughts on that? I know how my heart is. Yeah. Any thoughts? <laughs> he, he, say, he says, tried to do it all. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and, and none, of the, none of this stuff is 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 going to be anything less than anything more than vanity. Um, yeah. I mean, it, that's the, the desert monks, you know, sat on top of a pole, you know, whatever uh, in the, in the, in the desert there in North Africa or in, or in uh, uh, the Middle East. And even they could not avoid sin. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, it, so, I mean, you can, you can try and go that route. And, and that's what's interesting to me. I, I, in reading Luther's commentary on Ecclesiastes uh, for the, in preparation for today, yeah. um, Luther really wants us to guard against both extremes. Uh, the one extreme is to kind of, you know, go whole hog on, on live today and, and that's it. Um, but he also is very concerned that we don't go the other way. And say, well, now I'm gonna I'm gonna be holier than thou by giving up everything and not enjoying the things of this earth, and we'll just we'll just uh, you know that's how I'll I'll earn favor before God. So I mean, it's, there's the the trap is on both ends, um, and and Satan can tempt us even if we, as, as I, like I said, you have the desert fathers, the monks found out, uh, you know you know Satan Satan gets through every keyhole. And he, he inspires pride in us no matter, you know, how, how, 
how much of a pious motivation we had for giving up everything and going to live, you know, in the wilderness. That's a great line. Satan gets through every keyhole. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a great line. I'm going to, I have to work that into a sermon. So that that's going to be great. <laughs> that's going to be great. And that's a good reminder for us because the first 17 verses assumes there is no God. You know, I mean, well, not, mm-hmm. not completely, but more or less it does. Um, and now he gets to, okay, you are a child of God. And what does this mean? So 18 through 20, as we end our chapter. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So now comes the other shoe that drops. And and what is his message as we see our life in Christ with the Lord? Yeah. Enjoy the gifts God has given you. Uh, We, we, we are are not simply uh, Christians can be accused of this and, and perhaps even Lutherans as well, that, that, you know, it's all about pie in the sky when you die. It's all about, you know, getting to heaven and their, their things will be glorious. And, and that's going to just make up for everything bad here. And that's, there's, there's truth there to a certain extent, to a great extent. I mean, Paul speaks in those ways, in that way. But there's also that reality that God gives other gifts in this life. They're not eternal gifts. They're, they're not the kind of gifts that we put our, our eternal trust in. Uh, they're not justifying gifts. But yet they're still gifts, the, the first article gifts that God gives us. And what are we to do with them? Well, enjoy them. They're gift. And, and in fact, the Christian can do so, um, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, the best of, of all, uh, simply because we've been set free. We've been set free from, from the need to justify ourselves. We've been set free from uh, the need to, to trust in such things. And then we can, so therefore we can simply just enjoy them. Uh, these gifts come and awesome, wonderful. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's rejoice in them and, and receive them and, and revel in them. And when, uh, you know, uh, when our last hour comes, those things will pass away. Thanks be to God. They were, they were for uh, the time of this world and that, and then he has the greater gifts he'll give for, for eternity. So the, certainly the means of grace, Certainly, forgiveness of sins, life everlasting are the primary, most important gifts that God gives. So that does not mean that we then ignore uh, the other gifts that he gives, uh, because he is a gracious gift-giving God, and he wants us to enjoy those things that he gives us. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. And as we look at it's as simple as that. Enjoy the gifts that the Lord has given to us, beginning in the forgiveness, life, and salvation that we have in Christ. As you look at this chapter, how would you encourage and summarize this chapter to your parishioners, to your students, um, to your daughters as you hear these words today? Yeah. Uh, worship the giver, not the gift. The, 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 one, the one who gives these, all these wonderful gifts, worship him. The, the, the gifts themselves, they, they're not, they, they can't save. 
They can't do anything for you. They've been, they've been given, though, as a gift of your gracious spirit. So enjoy them. Enjoy them. Enjoy this life that the Lord has given you on this earth. He, he, he gives it as gift, and he wants you to have joy in it. And certainly, yes, there, there are difficult times. Certainly, yes, there are sorrows in this life. And, and we, we endure those and, and work through those with the Lord's help. But he is the giver of every good gift every joy in this life. And he's the one who not only sustains us in the bad, but also gives the good so that we remember to give thanks and praise to him when he supplies everything we need and remember to cry out to him uh, with, with prayer and lament when, when things are not quite so easy. The, this is the gift of God. I, I just love that. The, what I've seen is good and sinning. Uh, this is the gift of God, he says. That is, it is the gift of God all these things of this life, and remember that it is God's gift to you. Pastor Chris Marundi of St. John Lutheran Church, Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bingen, Indiana, giving us God's strong word of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Pastor Marundi, thank you for the gifts. You're very welcome. Saints of our Lord, God has given us the gift of words and our possessions. Use them wisely. And remember that, exactly as Pastor said, they are a gift, undeserved. So eat, drink, find enjoyment in these gifts, especially what we have in Christ, the forgiveness, life, and salvation He so freely gives to you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of His hands.